0: Welcome to the Cloudonaut podcast. We are your hosts Andreas
1: and Michael Wittig. We have been building on AWS since 2009. Follow along as we develop products like Bucketv, Marbot or HyperEnv and learn from practice. This is episode number 81 and we are recording this on September the 28th in 2023. In case you are watching this live on YouTube, uh, feel free to ask your questions. Unfortunately, the LinkedIn A live stream is not working today, so we will make sure that this works next time. All right, Andreas, so what's the first topic? So what did you learn uh, in the last couple of uh, days?
0: Yeah, so Michael, um, when we recorded the last episode, um, I already um, teased it a little bit uh, that I'm working on migrating lots of our Lambda functions from the JavaScript SDK version 2 to version 3. And I'm almost through <laughs> this this migration, so uh, maybe um, to give some background. So the problem is that uh, Node.js 16 has reached end of life at the beginning of September. So you definitely need to update, upgrade to Node.js 18. But when you do so for Lambda functions, the problem is that the built-in uh, AWS SDK that ships with the Node.js 18 environment is the version 3 SDK, the new SDK that EOS has announced some time ago. And um, I think AWS also has announced that they are sunsetting version 2, but they are postponing this date uh, <laughs> from time to time. So let's see how this goes. But yeah, but if you want to, so the thing is, if you want to use Lambda functions with Node.js 18 and you're not packaging the SDK uh, on your own into the zip file that you deploy, so you're using the one that ships with Lambda, uh, then you have to migrate to the JavaScript SDK version 3. So that's definitely the thing. And The problem is um, that this is not 100% backwards compatible. So you have to rewrite all the code that is uh, calling any of the uh, SDK uh, functionalities. Um, Yeah. So I've written a blog post about my learnings. Um, So maybe first of all, so there is... Finally, a few weeks, a month ago, AWS re- released um, a kind of working documentation for version three. So there's an API reference that I'm using and there are upgrading notes um, where AWS describes what they think is important when upgrading from two to three. Um, so I put links to all of that to the uh, video description and the show notes. Um, so. What are the, the things that you need to know about migrating from version two to version three? So the first thing is that importing the uh, the client for the different um, AWS services works differently. Um, so that is um, that is important to know. There are two options: you can either import um, uh, ES modu- modules, or you can. Uh, use uh, the the kind of uh, uh, old style way of doing it with common JS modules. So both options are available. Um, So if you want to, um, um, yeah, you can choose between those two options. But if you are using um, CloudFormation to write uh, Lambda functions with inline code, um, as far as I can tell, the only option is the common JS modules. Because to use the ES modules, you have to either use um, a special file suffix um, or you have to define this in the package JSON. And both are options that are not available when inlining the file uh, in CloudFormation, to my knowledge at least. Um, so, if you do, we do a lot of CloudFormation functions. Uh, Lambda functions inline in cloud formations because it's so easy to, uh, the easiest way for customers to deploy them because you don't have to do any command line stuff or upload uh, anything to your account. Uh, And if you do that, I think the only way is the common JS modules, which is the the one with require and so on. This is the common JS module way uh, of doing things. And then a big change is that uh, formerly with version two we had things like um, for example e c s dot uh, list container instances just a method name uh, and then you hand it over the parameters with version three you do commands instead so each client has a send method and you hand over a command that is then basically the thing that you want uh, to execute so that means you have to rewrite all the code have to replace the method names have to create these uh, command objects so yeah i don't know it's it's boring work because you obviously just uh, the parameters stay the same Luckily, <laughs> but uh, you have to uh, go through all your code and replace those things, and double check the documentation for the command names and so on. So that's a little uh, a bummer. Um, then the next thing I run into is, if you remember Michael with version two, uh, if you want to use the async away style, uh, you had to add dot uh, promise um, to every. Uh, method call over the AWS SDK to get the promise back that you then can uh, wait for. The default was uh, callback style, which version three, it's the other way around. So the default is basically giving back um, a promise. And you can, but you can still use it in a callback style by handing over Um, a second parameter to the send method, which is then the callback function. Uh, So not only the the command and then hand over the the callback function, then this works as well. So I've written a lot of uh, our Lambda functions, Michael, and uh, I try to keep the style. So if we used async await, I keep that. If we used callbacks, uh, I I kept that and I just uh, rewrote the code around that. So otherwise it's a a lot of work and a lot can go wrong. <laughs> Definitely, uh, that's that's an issue. Um, another thing I ran into, and this was not clear to me from the documentation, and I uh, it's also hard to test, which is the error handling. So if a function, uh, so if you call an API, AWS API, and the command fails, and the error the that comes back uh, is now uh, has a different structure. The arrow object basically has a different structure. Um, so double check that if you do, for example, I had something like uh, S three get object, and you then get back a no such key arrow. Uh, so make sure that these things are uh, in 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 the new format and and follow the the new um, yeah basically arrow arrow objects that the version three SDK uses. And then um, I run into two uh, things with S three. So the version two SDK had uh, a special method for uploading data. Because the thing is, when you upload data to S three, uh, if it's uh, larger than a few megabytes, you should do it. Uh, you should split the upload in multiple chunks and upload them in parallel. Uh, for performance reasons and the version 2 SDK had the um, upload function which was a higher level function basically there's no API representation of this this was just wrapping around um, put put object is probably the API call behind that and there is um, there is something similar um, with version 3 but it's not in the uh, it's not included in the S3 client. It is a different library called libStorage that is also part of the uh, SDK version 3. So um, check that out if you, if you need that. And then the, the basically the, 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 the last challenge I had was I needed to stream the data. So I download data from S3 and I upload it after transforming the data. In a lambda function, and because of uh, because yeah, keeping everything in memory is not an option. Writing it to disk is not an option. I try to stream the data through the lambda function, which means I keep only parts of it in memory. And um, so the the interface for that is also a little different. So last time, Michael, in the last podcast, we talked about that that there is is there a streaming uh, option available or not? There is. So uh, in, in version two, you had a function for that, create read stream. Uh, in version three, when you do um, a get object command, uh, what you get back is, um, can be or is by default uh, a stream. So you can use that that representation of a stream right away. And you can also, when you do the put object command, you can hand over a stream as well. So that works, um, is, is built into to that, but... Um, be careful, because if you do just put object with the version 3 API and hand over a stream, you have the issue that you need to know, um, how is it called, the, the body size or the object size, you need to specify that up front. Uh, if you do not know that, um, it's easier to do um, to use the upload function uh, in F3, so the higher level construct, which is doing multiport uploads, because... By using that one, you don't have to specify um the total object size um up front, so that is um what I'm using in my example, and all the code snippets are in the blog post so if you try to figure out how that works, um feel free to check that out yeah, so overall, michael, so I'm not too happy with with that change, so a o s is basically forcing us to upgrade to version three because we have no other uh, option and then they they come with an SDK that is not backwards compatible with version two and we have to rewrite all our code. I'm not too happy about all of that. I think probably uh, you could do uh, better when making such a change, but yeah, that's how it is. So <laughs> here we are. I've been going through all of that, spent useless hours on rewriting <laughs> um, our code, but hey, yeah, that's um, that's it. And if you do the same. Check out the blog post and maybe
1: avoid some of the the traps um, that are um, out there. Yeah, uh, Andreas, I remember one one other thing that that was not kind of working the same way in version three than version two that that we were running into, and I just remember that while you were talking. So, in one of our functions, we call the S3 Get uh, Bucket Location API, which basically tells us in which region the bucket lives. And for, I think, historical reasons, if the bucket lives in US East 1, um, you will not get back a region code like US East 1. You just get back. And in version uh, version 2 SDK, uh, it, the value was null. Um, and in version 3, the value is undefined. So that's a slight uh, difference <laughs> because I like, I like in JavaScript, I really like to check for null or undefined. So I, I want to be very specific using the... Um, equals 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 uh, comparison operator Um, so in that case that just was not working anymore so we didn't detect that this was the region US East 1 anymore and I mean those kind of things are kind of impossible to to find without really running the code against the real API and things like that yeah so that's a little bit um, problematic as you already mentioned okay um one thing, Andreas, uh, I, I I think uh, maybe I, I I'm completely wrong, but didn't you discover a way in the uh, version three SDK to also use the method style invocation somehow instead of the send? Uh, it it's good question, Michael. Yes,
0: I remember something, but I I didn't yeah. use it now. So I think yeah. that there is a way to use the, kind of a, me- a method style, but I think it's you have to rewrite your code a little bit with that as well. And the problem is AWS um, um, does not... Um, so it, it's it's a legacy option, and you should not use it, mm-hmm. because they say they will deprecate that as well in okay, the future. So that's why I just rewrote yeah. all the code and using I mean, the commands. It makes there.
1: sense to use the new kind of way. And um, But yeah, um, I, I was just remembering that. Okay. There's something, yeah. All right. So, next topic, Andreas. Um, I did some work uh, using um, a feature of CloudWatch dashboards that I not used before, and it's called a custom widget. So, to start, what's a CloudWatch dashboard? Uh, just to make sure that everyone is on the same page, a CloudWatch dashboard is basically um, it's a uh, a way to define widgets and position them, and you can display CloudWatch metrics, you can display CloudWatch logs, and metrics can be dis- displayed in different ways. So you can have a simple chart, you can have pie charts, I think, you can have uh, stacked uh, charts, all kinds of different ways to display data. Um, it is, of course, not as, it's not a Grafana dashboard or something. It's, I mean, it's an AWS dashboard, so it, it lacks uh, all the, the capabilities that you usually uh, want to see, but there is some basic stuff available. And one addition uh, that was released, I think it's, it's not a very new feature, right? It was released quite some time ago. It's called a custom widget. So custom widget is basically, um, a way to invoke a lambda function from within the dashboard when it loads. Um, and the lambda function returns data and this is displayed by the dashboard. Alright. Um, so two use cases um, that we implemented or that I implemented. And they were both for our Bucket AV product. This is this is the antivirus for Amazon S3 solution that we offer. The first widget displays if you're using the up-to-date version of our product. So we compare the version that you run against and, um like we have a JSON endpoint um, on our website basically it returns the current version. We compare the versions. If the one that you're running is, is not the one that's latest we tell you that you should update and we add a button into the widget and when you click that button um, the update process basically starts. Um, so that's also a cool feature of a widget. You can also have interactivity in them. So you cannot only display data you can also react to um, clicks on on links and buttons. Um, the second use case is a widget that displays a table of all UR3 buckets, and we enrich this table with information if you have real time and scheduled scanning enabled for that bucket. And if it's not enabled, we basically add an, a button, and if you push that button, you either enable it directly, or if your configuration is a little bit more complicated, uh, then we redirect you to our documentation. So that's the two use cases. So it's a feature that many of our customers requested because it's, I mean, for people that don't manage their infrastructure using infrastructure as code, it is definitely simpler to just click, 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 click the the buckets that you want to be um, scanning. All right. So now we dive a little bit into the internals, Andreas. So I said you can return data. So what kind of data can you return? Uh, so there are three different kind of types of returns. You can either return a string containing HTML. Uh, you can return JSON or you can return Markdown. A base, and, and Markdown is kind of, it's a JSON with one attribute uh, called Markdown. And this is then a string with the Markdown. Um, and then it's displayed in the dashboard. Most HTML tags are supported. Um, One that you might have in mind that is not supported is the iframe tag, so you cannot kind of include external stuff in there. And um, you have CSS support, and you have also SVG support. So you could, like with SVG, you can create, for example, very interesting crafts and stuff like that. So that's supported, and it's possible. by default, most or not most HTML elements, but some HTML elements like tables, um, input um, and select um, um, elements, as well as header elements, and a couple of others are styled using the CloudWatch dashboard default style. So, if you, for example, define an HTML table, it will look nice by default. Uh, so, that's very cool. And as I said, you could add your own CSS if you wish, but it's not needed. So for all the um, widgets that I created, Andreas, I, w- I went just with the default styling and this looks uh, good um, as far, uh, at least for my um, visual, um, 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 how to call this there, uh, yeah. at least for my eye, it looks good. So one thing that is not supported and this is might not a surprise is JavaScript. And this is for security reasons. So basically AWS does not allow you to inject anything in the widget that could then potentially uh, alter the, the console right so that's not supported but as i already said there is an interactivity uh, capability to to those custom widgets and this is basically an html element and this is like the name is a little bit strange but it's called cvdb dash action and with this element if you put that next to an for example link or button you can define what happens when the button is clicked And the two, I would say, kind of popular option is you can call a Lambda function. And this Lambda function can then either do something and you keep the widget as it is or you can return new um, data for the widget. So for example, a new HTML string and then the widget is updated using the the response of the Lambda function. You can also open a pop-up And you can then add there either static or also dynamic information that comes from a Lambda function. And um, yeah, there's also confirmation functionality. If you click on the button, there comes a confirmation prompt before the Lambda function is actually invoked. And so that's really neat. And that's what I I already used in our two use cases. As I said, too, you can push the update button. You can also push the enable real-time or enable scheduled scanning um, for a bucket. So that was really cool. Um, I liked it. And very easy to use uh, there are I think 10 or so examples from AWS so I, I, I looked at a, an example at the beginning just to get an idea how, how everything needs to be done they are cloud formation templates so you can just see everything that needs to be deployed and one thing that I missed Andreas and it's kind of uh, I, I, I still don't really know how it works is the Lambda function and the CloudWatch dashboard are from a permission perspective not uh, connected in any ways so for example, if you connect a Lambda function with an S3 bucket or something, then you add a Lambda permission, like uh, allow this S3 service to evoke your Lambda function. With a CloudWatch dashboard, that's not needed. So there is no I'm role and also no Lambda function permissions that are needed to make it work. Um, the only thing that they have is when you look at the dashboard the very first time, they ask you if you really want to invoke this Lambda function. And then you can, I think you can either, um, um, okay, trust this forever or trust this once or something like that. And then they invoke the function. I'm not sure who the invoker is actually. I never looked that up in CloudTrail. If it's um, me, like my identity that that browses the console or if it's the some magic um, dashboard um, way to, to access the Lambda function. But that was very confusing for me. So I expected that I need to do something to allow the dashboard to call the function. Yeah, so that's the only thing that that was a little bit confusing, but the rest is straightforward and it works. And um, besides uh, me shipping a a, a tiny bug (laughs) that many of our customers uh, quickly discovered when they opened the dashboard after the update, um, which is fixed since uh, yesterday, so yesterday was the the next release was uh, yesterday. Um, so our customers are very happy with the features So a lot of them all already tried it out and and unfortunately <laughs> we received lots of support <laughs> emails right because it was not working but um, yeah they are all happy now I, I just reached out to them in the morning and and and, and told them that there's now an official update available and they can now update and, and fix the problem um, so that that was my topic Andrea so what else do you have on your list
0: I have one question. So yeah, the sorry. CloudWatch dashboard, there's, there's the option that you just um, log into the AWS account and then go to CloudWatch and check the dashboard. And there's also the option to share a dashboard um, with others that do not have an IM, any IAM credentials. I think it's with a kind of public URL uh, with a hidden secret in it. Do you know if that custom widgets work with those shared dashboards as well? Did you check that?
1: I haven't tried it. Um, I haven't read anything in the documentation about it's not working. There are also cross account dashboards and stuff. And as far as I understand the docs, it, it works. But if that really works, then there must be, I mean, I really don't get how they invoke my Lambda function. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that was why I was thinking yeah. about that. So that's, that's something to investigate a little bit yeah. further. I Michael. mean, that's interesting. <laughs> I once deployed such a public dashboard, Andreas, and I don't know if it's still the same today, but they basically create Cognito user pool and all kinds of resources in your account and you, there's no way to delete them afterwards. So <laughs> it was really, I was just a little bit shocked what's going on when you create this public dashboard there.
0: Okay. The last thing I, the last time I tried this, it was just generating a URL with a secret in it, and you could just share that URL, and everyone with the URL All got access right. to the dashboard. But okay, I don't so know if there are other options. improvement. Yeah. Okay. So let's see. Okay. That, that interesting thing. Okay. Uh, let's check that. <laughs> okay. So uh, the last thing is uh, I want to talk about is um, uh, talk about Terraform. So I think we had a similar discussion in this podcast, but now I have um, written a blog post about it to summarize my learnings and I wanted to share um, those summarized learnings here. So the thing is, um, with Terraform, um, when you do, for example, use uh, providers like obviously the AWS provider when you work with AWS, then uh, you do define the version of the, for example, AWS provider that you want to use in your Terraform configuration. And um, I did so. So I had a Terraform configuration where I was defining, uh, I want to use the AWS provider uh, version 3.something. And I used a Terraform module, um, the VPC module, a very common one to spin up uh, a VPC um, very easily. And then after a few years... Um I tried to run that code again <laughs> and um, before doing so I was just making sure to update everything to the latest version uh, so I was updating um, the required uh, AWS provider to version major version 5 because that's now the I think it's still the current uh, AWS provider version and then I run into an issue I got an an arrow from, from Terraform saying uh, the argument named enable classic link is not expected here. And I was I was not I could not understand where this is coming from. And it took me a while to understand that this was coming from the module that I was using. Uh that the, the Terraform module. And then I learned that um the Terraform module that I was using was defining uh, a required Terraform provider as well, but it just said I want to have um, a Terraform provider with version greater than three dot something, uh, and the problem is five dot something is obviously greater than three dot something. Um, so if you d- specify a version that's that's true, so Terraform says, oh, that's fine. I can use version five of the Terraform provider. No issue here. Um, But the problem is, between the major versions of the Terraform provider, um, you have breaking changes. So they do, I don't know, deprecate. In this example, the the thing I mentioned, the attribute with classic link was just deprecated because it no longer exists because AWS sunsetted that feature completely now. Um, So... Uh, it's possible between major versions of a Terraform provider that you have breaking changes that you need to uh, consider in your in your Terraform code, um, but the specification of the Terraform provider just said something greater than three dot, uh, something major version three, and so uh, Terraform did not know about. Uh, that issue actually, and so the question is, how do you solve that problem? And when you look into the Terraform documentation, what you can find there is the recommendation is, if you define um, the version of a Terraform provider, and I think it's true for any other version that you define in Terraform, um, you can not only say I want um, um, a specific version greater than or greater equal something, but you can also say um, I want to lock the major version of something. Uh, and this is, I think, the recommended way uh, to specify the AWS provider in your Terraform code. Say, um, so I want Terraform provider version 3, 4, 5, you, uh, if you start now, probably 5, and then this ensures the Terraform can pick any, the, basically the latest version of the Terraform provider with major version 5. So you get the latest updates automatically, those without breaking changes. But uh, when there is the next major version coming out, version 6, for, for example, then you do not automatically um, use that one, uh, which then breaks all uh, or potentially breaks parts of your Terraform code, and so I think that is important. So, if you want to future-proof, def- define the teraf- a Terraform provider, then make sure that you um, specify the uh, basically only lock the major version. And I, in the blog post, you can find the code um, to do so. So, I learned that um, the hard way, and I think this is especially important if you um, publish Terraform modules that a lot of others are using where you're not controlling um, who is using that
1: all right Andreas that sounds good Um, good approaches it kind of applies to any any dependency kind of thing that you add to your code as well Uh, so make sure that the version constraints don't don't cause issues in the future yeah all right so that's it right perfect okay Michael
0: Yeah, that's it. We'll be back soon. Um, Subscribe to our newsletter, podcast, or YouTube channel to ensure you're not missing any of the upcoming shows or the content that we publish. Um, So you'll find all links in the show notes or the video description.
1: Yeah, thanks for joining. Bye. Bye.